0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. All right. Hope, there we go. I did turn it on. Okay, good. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you. And I bring greetings from Grace City Church of the Northeast in, as Sean mentioned, Northeast Philadelphia. For any of you who know Philadelphia at all, uh, we are very near the Northeast Airport, uh, just off of Home Circle, so for most of you, that probably means absolutely nothing, and that's totally fine. Uh, I'm not originally from Philly, so if you're looking for me to say things like wooder and use and things like that, that are nope, don't do that, even joking, okay, got it, Kara, I won't do that. So our three of our four children were born there, so there are things that like sneak in occasionally, Uh, but we've been there 14 years and love serving the church there, and so our church uh, in Northeast Philadelphia prays for you. I think, I didn't check to be absolutely sure, but I think we prayed for you today. We pray for a different church in our denomination every Sunday, and especially when I'm away somewhere, they try to match that up and pray for you guys and as a reminder of why I'm away on this Sunday and one of our other pastors is serving our church there. It's probably done by now because they're an hour ahead of us. But So we love you in the Lord. It's great to meet some more of you than just Sean. I mean, he's cool and everything. But uh, a, a pastor does not a church make, right? The church is you. The church is the people. And so it's great to meet with him and get to know him and be a friend to him as a representative of your church. But it's great to meet you and be with you. And I'm eager to open the word of God together. And I am mindful that it is already warm. It's almost like, you know, the fan's not that loud, right? We can just turn it up. But I think we're going for it this way. But at least you guys aren't being tempted by the splash pad. See, I thought it was strategic that all the All the curtains were down, all the blinds were drawn. It was like, oh great, no one will be distracted. Then it's like, oh kids, you're going right out. So, you know, there's ways, ways to grow. (laughs) Uh, No, that is one thing we do in Philly is rag on each other all the time. So I'm bringing a little Philly to you guys today. Um, We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. Um, Our text comes right on the heels of the amazing day of Pentecost. And you're most likely familiar with that story, right? The Holy Spirit comes down. There are tongues of fire. There's speaking in tongues. The crowd is like, what is going on? Peter says, they're not drunk like you think. Here's what's going on. Prophecy is being fulfilled. He quotes from Joel 2. And then he doesn't just defend what they're doing, he goes on to say, by the way, you killed Jesus, and God made him the Lord and the Messiah, and it's not too late. You can turn from your sins and be saved. And many are. They believe the verse right before our reading, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day, added that day about 3,000 souls. It's a lot of baptisms. We'd be really excited to do that many baptisms, right? This is a very special day in the life of the church and this is The text for today is an important text in thinking about what the church is and how the church functions together. And for you guys, as just a few years old, in a way, I know you wish it weren't true, but in a way, it's good that you don't have a building identity because established churches that have been around a long time get all excited about maintenance and taking care of things and thinking, like, now I'm at church because I'm at the building, and so it's a little easier to preach to you guys, you're not the building. And they like, yeah, we know. <laughs> It'd be nice. Give us those kind of problems, right? So one day when the Lord provides and you have those kind of problems, never forget that you are the church. The structure is not the church. The property is not the church. You are the place, by God's grace, where the Spirit dwells and is active, and He wants to make you into the church that He wants you to be, not a building and how big or grand or beautiful it can be. So, as we think about these verses today, they teach us a lot about what that first church did, and it was mentioned already, we do believe that that first church is a model of for us. It's not just something for us to look back at and go like, wow, that was super cool what they did back then. Fundamentally, things have not changed. This is the same age. The Spirit is still active and at work and saving people. The Great Commission still needs to be fulfilled, and God has made His church part of it. So for us, we look at this and we don't just go, wow, that was so cool. That's neat. We want church life like this. And so, that's what we're talking about today. The big idea is this. With the help of the Spirit, because we definitely can't do this by ourselves, we want to be like those first believers. Committed to God's Word, committed to prayer, and committed to each other. With the help of the Spirit, we want to be like those first believers those 3,000 that were added to the about 120, and what they did here. With the help of the Spirit, we want to be like those first believers, committed to God's Word, committed to prayer, and committed to each other. And in case you didn't get all of that down, the three points this morning are going to be committed to God's Word, committed to prayer, and committed to each other. And by God's grace, may we experience what they did. Awe at the work of God. Favor with outsiders. And unbelievers becoming believers who are then added to the church. And so before we get into committed to God's word, committed to prayer, and committed to each other, since we use it in all three points I want to talk about what it means to be committed. Because it's easy in the church when a pastor... It helps in a way that I'm a a visiting pastor. Because you know that I'm not preaching on like... Okay, I'm going to preach on commitment. And then we're having a meeting right afterwards to talk about 10 ways that you need to be more committed to the church. And we need people to serve in this area and that area and this other one. and, And you don't even need to be on the building team So that's not what we're doing. And when I talked with our church, as we're we're going through a series in Acts right now, and a few months ago we were in Acts 2, and as we were talking about it, and we were having a meeting after church that day. I I promise though, it's not to tell you all the things now we need you to do for the entity that is the church. That's the other way we want to like Stop thinking about the church. There is an entity that is the church. There needs to be legally, and there there is a sense of like, okay, here we are, but it really is, it's us. It's you. It's the church. It's not, well, there, here's the legal corporation, or here's the building. It's the people. So what does it mean to be committed? If we're not talking about, this is Commitment Sunday, talking about programs. When we're talking about being committed, it's the word that it's translated here is devoted. They devoted themselves. And when you think about devotion, you might think about what's going on over these two weeks and the commitment that athletes make to try to become Olympic athletes. You think about all the things they give up, many of them from childhood, right? It's like, when did you start doing this? When I was four. You know, they have, and they have those stories every time, you know, a little girl just bouncing around at her first day of learning to be a gymnast, like, I'm going to win a gold medal. And you're like, yeah, right. And then it's like, well, that's her. Great. So there's millions of little girls that say that. I'm going to be a champion swimmer, and there's only a few that actually get to do it. But it takes commitment that's beyond really anything I'm ready to be committed to athletically, Right it's commitment to training, it's commitment to eating and not eating, drinking things and not drinking other things. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for all that. But they're a picture for us, right, of what commitment is. They are committed to reaching their goals, and they're willing to get rid of anything that is an obstacle in their path. And so when we think about being devoted, the idea here of the word that's translated devoted is that they are busily engaged with these things. God's word, with prayer, with each other. They're busily engaged with. They are actively participating consistently. They are committed. The other thing that it means is that they persevere in it. So they're busily engaged. And you might hear that and go like, I'm, I'm already too busy And so, it might be time to think about what you're busy with and what things you want to be busy with, maybe after hearing this sermon, right? As God works in us by His Spirit. What are the things I should care about? What are the things I should spend my time on? Because as those athletes have said yes, their yes has meant saying no. And so, maybe being busily engaged with God's Word, with prayer and with one another, will mean saying no to some other things. And we need to be open to that. We need to be not so committed to whatever we have decided is our way of life that we are unwilling to consider whether God would have us change, whether there should be different rhythms. And it is hard. We live in a very busy world. And in our city, in Philadelphia, we live in a very busy city with busy roads Um, We were telling some friends about one. There's one, you've been on it, the Boulevard, Roosevelt Boulevard. It's hard to explain to people outside because it's 12 lanes. It's six lanes each way, three lanes in a median, three lanes in a big median, three lanes in a median, three lanes. And sometimes you have to cross over between and trying to turn is like we've seen cars flipped while we're just sitting at a traffic light watching one last car try to turn left while the next group has a green. It's Crazy, it is. It's big. Um, we're busy. There's the reason. There's twelve lanes is because there's twelve lanes worth of cars going places every single day. And so it's easy to hear like, oh, now we got to be busy at church too. I'm I'm over this. You know, Tell me how to simplify my life. Well, being busy with the right things actually does simplify your life. It's learning to say yes to the right things and saying no to the things that don't fit. You already do this. You already do this. The things that you absolutely have time for whenever they come up, those are the things you're saying yes to whether you're thinking about it or not. So in that sense, I'm not calling you to anything new. You are already committed to some things. And so one of the questions we want to ask as we go through is, am I committed to the right things? Are we as a family, if we're part of a family, are we committed to the things that God would have us be committed to. And again, I'm not talking about, okay, we've got all these tasks. Sean's got a list for afterwards, I really hope you don't, um, of things everyone needs to do (laughs) at the church. Um, So being busily engaged with, but also to persevere. And so the idea of perseverance is that you stick with something, and that's another way in which the athletes that are on display these two weeks are an example to us, right? Because The way I tend to get is like, you know what? I need to get in better shape. And I'll like really go at it for like, I don't know, maybe a week or so. Have you ever done that? Right? It's like, ah, I need to lose weight. I'm going to eat nothing but spinach and whatever else I would eat. So you see how short it lasts. I can't even list the things. (laughs) And we're all a little bit like that, right? You go, I'm doing the thing. And then it's like, ah, that's harder than I thought. That's not as rewarding as I thought, right? We, we definitely live in an age of instant gratification. It was fun even driving up here with my daughter and we're looking at the fields and going, you know, the farmer can't be like, I need a crop, let me plant. Okay, ready? Ready? Right? It's months later. It's not minutes later. It's not even hours or days later. It's months later. And that's good. That's a good rhythm that God has built in and we do everything we can to change that right we want instant everything and sometimes we can when we read about a model church we go yeah I'm ready for that I'm ready for that kind of community and we think if we work really hard on it for like two weeks then we'll have some real community and we'll be in and we're ready and here we go and then we find it's not as rewarding as we thought. It's not as good as we thought. Other people in this church sin. Not you, of course, but there are other people who sin, and you're going to run into that and be like, man, that is annoying. That's wrong. They shouldn't do that. While, meanwhile, you know, they're at home thinking the same thing about you. Uh, and we had a reading earlier that would help us with that. Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. And so this word devoted is not only about being busy, it's about persevering. When it gets hard, when that person sins against you, and like, and they even meant it. You notice how in so many apologies, it's like, I'm apologizing, but it's clear that this isn't who I am, and I never intended, right? That's how we tend to apologize today. I didn't mean it, but I'm sorry if you were offended. As Christians, because we have actually been forgiven our sins, we are free to actually confess them so you know what when i spoke that harsh word i was being harsh my heart was hard toward you and that's awful and i don't want that and i'm by god's grace turning from that and will you forgive me do you see how much more powerful that is than like oh you know i get maybe they're they're a little sensitive and since you're sensitive i'll apologize but of course i wasn't wrong we're free to confess our sins. And now I'm preaching all different sermons on this, just talking about being committed. But we want to be committed, busily engaged, but also persevering, because there are days that it's going to get tough. And the goal for this church isn't that you have a couple of really great years of maybe finding a building and having some explosive growth for a while. It's not a few years The goal is that for decades, and by God's grace, if the Lord tarries, even generations of people being the church. So we want to be devoted, committed. So what is the church supposed to be committed to first? We are committed to God's Word, and we see this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This first church was devoted to to apostolic teaching. How does that come down to us today? Because the apostles, you know, Peter, James, John, all those guys, they're not here today. If they were, I would definitely not be preaching. But they are not here, right? And so we can't have Peter come and tell us his story in person with all his personality and all his energy, which is probably even more than what Sean has when he's preaching but where is the apostolic teaching preserved? It's preserved for us in his word. So there are days where we go, oh, it'd be great to have a, the Apostle John, the Apostle of love, if, if he could come and preach, wow, I'd really get it. It's like, you know what? He's given us basically three sermons in addition to a whole gospel about Jesus. That is John preaching his message to us. We wish that we could hear Peter come. And he's writing in 1 Peter to Christians who are scattered all over the Roman Empire and writing to them again in 2 Peter. And he tells them, you have it as good as we did. We got to see Jesus face to face, but you have the true stories about him. You have his word, you have his spirit, you have Christ as your savior, you have everything that they had. And so we don't, again, we don't just want to look back to this age and go like, wow, it must have been so cool to be part of this church, but we could never experience anything like that. No. The apostles themselves, if they could come and speak to us, would say, we left you everything you need, and with the power of the Holy Spirit combined with the record that we left you, you have everything you need to be the church just like we were, and to be the church maybe even better. Because sometimes when we think about a model church, we think, yeah, they were perfect. Look at all the stuff they did. Well, see, in our church, we've kept going through Acts, and I know you guys have gone through Acts already here. It was not a perfect church. There was a lot that was wrong, and they needed to work through it, and they needed to grow. And that's actually really helpful. If Acts had told us the story of a perfect church who got everything right and always loved everyone across racial boundaries properly and appropriately, and if they had always known that the gospel was going to all the nations, and no one lied to the Holy Spirit, and they all loved one another, and there were no divisions, and everyone just kept working together peacefully, if that had happened the whole time, it would be like, yeah, this is pretty unattainable. But as you keep going, you find out they're not that different than us. Sure, it's a different time and a different place, and yes, in many ways, a lot has changed. But the big things haven't changed. We still have Christ as our Savior, we still have the Holy Spirit. And we now don't need to wait for one of the apostles to be able to come to our church. They're here every single week as we open the pages of the New Testament. And that's why this first point is about being committed to God's Word. That's what today it means for us to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And so the teaching of the apostles we find in Acts is central to the life of the church. And by God's grace, we want in our churches in Philadelphia and here, we want the teaching of the apostles as it's preserved for us in God's word to be central to the life of the church. It's why we open with a call to worship from God's Word. It's why we sing songs that are rooted in the truths of God's Word and sometimes are directly quotations from God's Word. It's why we stop and have a scripture reading. I'm not just talking to talk. We're working through a text because what I have to say really isn't that important unless we can be sure that it comes from here, right? It's not not my opinion's Uh, Sean, as your pastor, it's not just his opinions. Well, what does he think about that? It's like, well, sure, what does he think about that? And we should honor him and respect him for the role that God has him in here. But it's really about, are his answers true to God's Word? And that's what he would want. Any good pastor would want. Like, don't just take my word for it. Look at the book. Look at God's Word. And so we want to be committed to to God's Word and have it be central in our gatherings, but life is so much more than an hour or two on Sunday, isn't it? And so individually, are you devoted to the teaching of the apostles? If we just kind of ran with you through this last week, whose words are you committed to hearing? And we can measure some of that by volume. There are a lot of words out there. And so there's, did I spend time in God's Word versus time with talk radio, if talk radio is a thing here? Did I spend time with words or time with my favorite cable news channel, if anyone's into cable news channels? There are so many sources of information seeking to influence how you think about the world, about how the world works, about God. Even if they say they're not talking about God at all, they are trying to teach you how to think about God and who He is. There's so, there's so much information. There's so much to listen to. So if we tracked with you through this week, would someone who didn't know you were trying to answer the question saying, yes, I'm committed to the Word, Would they watching your week go, wow, this is someone who's committed to God's word? They're concerned about thinking in biblical categories rather than the world's categories. They're concerned about drawing conclusions from from scripture rather than just reading everything with their their best effort uh, with their favorite gurus. We don't need gurus, we need the word. And there are men and women who are exceptionally gifted in areas. We were even talking yesterday. It's not that we're against scholarship. Scholars can really serve the church, but ultimately they serve the church as they help us go deeper into the Word, not away from it. So individually, are we devoted? Are we committed to the teaching of the apostles? And as a church, as good a job as you're doing this Sunday and as good a job as I hope you do every Sunday, as a church, as you gather, as you have different gatherings of the church, are you committed to the Word? That when you gather, you're saying, okay, this is what guides us. This is what leads us. Whether you're gathering as a small group, whether you're gathering as just friends in the church, is it the Word that guides you? Or is it like the Word's great on Sundays, but outside of that, it's, well, here's my political opinion, here's my favorite sports team, here's my whatever. That, that's what we're excited about. That's what we're animated about. Can spend hours on. Are those conversations shaped, controlled by the Word, the apostolic teaching? Because ultimately, if we don't have God's Word, we don't have anything. We have no way to know what's true or what will last. So by God's grace, we want to be committed to God's Word. We also want to be committed to prayer. This first church was committed To the word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And if we skip to the end of verse 42, they were devoted to the prayers. You say, the prayers, what is that? Well, if there were set prayers that they prayed, and there may have been, because we see later that they were attending the temple, which actually is the same word that's translated devoted, They, they kept on going to the temple. And the temple had set times of prayer, and even in some situations, set prayers. were like, oh, these psalms are being read for these occasions. If they had set prayers in the early church, we don't know what they were. Those haven't been preserved for us. And so the point here isn't exactly what they prayed. It's that they prayed. And that prayer is something that God himself wanted them to devote themselves to. And so for you, for us, is this us? So in, in our church, and we've already had a couple times of prayer in this gathering today, in our church in Philadelphia, it's like we, there's, there's prayer kind of all throughout, and a recognition, we need God. But again, like you can plan that, and say, okay, good job, we're, we're a church that's committed to prayer, but are we actually a church that is committed to prayer? Yes, we want to do that publicly, but how, how often, when was the last time after a gathering of the church, whether you're in the Presbyterian church in the afternoon, whether you're in the park, as you're talking with someone, and it's clear, like, they're discouraged. They need prayer. That you stop right then and lay a hand on their shoulder and pray and call out to God together. We want that to be part of our regular experience, that when we're sharing our burdens, when we're talking about our joys, when we're talking about struggles, it's like, you know what, let's pray. Let's stop and pray. And sometimes we can get this backwards. Oh, we're a church that's supposed to do that. Okay, i got to be ready to pray today. But really where that comes from is a heart of dependence on the Lord. And that's what will fuel prayer. Knowing that all our plans can't make anything happen. We can plan the best liturgy, the best order of worship. We can plan the best sermon. And without the power of God, it all falls flat. When we know that, we pray. And we seek His help. We seek His wisdom and we seek it together. So again, after gatherings, when you get together in the week, whether it's for a small group meeting or just because you want to, is prayer part of that? When there's, again, struggles, joys, we take them together to the Lord. So similar to the last one, if someone observed your church, and if someone observed your participation in your church, would they come away without knowing the goals you're trying to reach? Like, well, we just talked about being committed to prayer, so like, there it is. See all the times? Right? If they didn't have that in mind, would they step back and go, if they were just making a list, what are the things this group of people is committed to? Wow, it's plain that one of them is prayer. Could that be said of you? And that's a hard question to ask, and I don't mean that to beat anybody up, because I have no idea what your prayer life individually or as a group is like. And it was a tough question to our church a few months ago. It's like, are we willing, are we ready to grow in this area? to recognize that, sure, we're, we're not saying, ah, we never pray, oh no, but are there ways that we can grow? Are there ways we can come ready? When you come, even on a Sunday morning, are you coming just to receive, or are you coming to give? Are you coming to participate as a member of this congregation, of this church? So if someone observed you, would they look at your life through the week and go, that's a person who's committed to prayer? as they observe your gathered life and your scattered life as a church. Is this a church that's committed to prayer? And it's good to ask ourselves those questions and maybe even talk about it together. If you perceive a weakness there, like how can we grow? How can we change? How how can we make that easier? Because it is awkward. In a way, it shouldn't be in church, but it is awkward to like, hey, can I pray for you? especially if you're out in public somewhere. It's awkward enough to pray at meals anymore. Maybe that's, it's less so here, uh, but in Philadelphia, there are a lot of sensibilities that are different. I'm picking up uh, from here. (laughs) Um, Where it's like, you know, what are they doing, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, where, where I grew up in the South, it's like, oh, look, that family, they're Christians. You know, you like find the other Christians that way. And, and now, at least where we are in Philadelphia, it's like, what are, what are you doing? Or, to, you know, if you're walking on a sidewalk with someone and it's like, hey, I'm going to pray for you, you're laying hands on them and raising your hand, and it's like, who's going, who's coming by? This is weird. Uh, don't be afraid of being weird, right? Sometimes we think, oh, well, we're the, we're the Christians that the world will look at and go like, yeah, I just, they have it so good, I want to be just like them. That's not how the New Testament describes how the world will think about us. Uh, we now don't be weird just because you are, <laughs> right? And I know some of it, it's like, sorry, I can't do anything about that. Uh, don't be weird just because you are. Be weird because you're committed to things that are different than before you belong to Christ, right? That's what should happen. First Peter. One three, he tells us, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the whole rest of that letter is about because we have a different hope than we used to have, and a different hope than the world around us has, we live differently. A couple of the ways we live differently is that we're committed to the Word. We're committed to prayer, and it's going to look different, and it's going to feel different, and even as you seek growth in this area, it might feel awkward, and you're unsure, and it's like, is this a time that it's okay to pray? The answer is always yes. So, by God's grace, be a church that is devoted, committed to prayer, and then finally, committed to each other, and this is where the text spends most of its time. Back in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And we're not talking about communion today, though we'll be celebrating communion today as every week. So to the breaking of bread could refer to communion, uh, fellowshipping with one another that way through the practice of the Lord's table in the gathered church, and that's a way we can look at that and go, see, we're devoted to that. We're doing it every week. We don't have time to talk about that today there's a different kind of breaking bread that shows up a little bit later in the text. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then in verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. So, this big gathering in the temple, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So, we're kind of taking all of that and saying they were committed to each other, they were together. They were devoted to fellowship. And this doesn't just mean food. It doesn't mean, oh, we're having another church fellowship, and I always go to those. Right? (laughs) They were committed to fellowship. And the idea of the word is sharing. They were committed to sharing. And if we wondered whether that's what it meant or not, all the verses that come after that really help us understand that they were committed to a radical kind of sharing. They share with one another because they share in Christ. What makes a church a church? In Christ, we become family. One of the pictures of the New Testament church is the church as a family. And that drives the radical sharing that we see here in today's passage. And as you continue to read through Acts, you see... I mean, what's happening here? People were liquidating assets to make sure others in the church would be fed, clothed, and provided for in verse 45. Some were using their homes to host smaller gatherings of the church where they would share a meal in verse 46. Sometimes the churches actually met in a home. That was one way that at least one family in the church served. But they were together. They were sharing resources. They were sharing food. They were sharing their lives. And so for us, maybe you're not going to set up a commune. I don't know. You guys can talk about it. No? (laughs) All right. Now, it, it does seem with the wide open spaces, and I know some of them are filling up with buildings, it'd be a little easier for you to do that than it would be for us to do that in Philadelphia. Everything's pretty much developed there already, so we're kind of like stuck where we are. We could try to like buy up a block or something, but here you really could like buy a field and just like go for it. So something to consider down the line. <laughs> so we're probably not setting up a commune. So if we're not doing that, how do we live out the spirit of this though, right? Because it's not just like, okay, we put all the money in the central pot, and even that's not what they're doing. And they're having all things in common, it says in verse 44, but specifically what is it doing? They're selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And we definitely want to do that. So as a church... For us in Philadelphia, we have a benevolent fund. That there's, We have two offering boxes. One is for the regular giving, and one is for the benevolent fund. And people put money in there, and then as there are needs, in our, especially in our church, but sometimes also in our community, money goes out of that fund to help other people. And so that's one practical way that in our church in, in Philadelphia, people are giving into a pot that then is available so that when someone has need. And so this actually takes knowing each other too, because sometimes how do we know that someone's in need, right? we, We want, like, I can't admit what kind of position I'm in. I can't admit that I'm having this struggle. And yet in the church, we can, because we shouldn't be looking down on one another. That's an opportunity to serve one another. So, what resources has God lent to you? Because basically, they're acting like what they have doesn't belong to them. And that is the way we should think about things. And there are plenty of other texts that help us with that, right? We are, we are stewards. We've been given a charge. We've been given a responsibility from the Lord. So, if you have more money or property than most, it's really not because you're more resourceful. And it's really not because you worked harder, and it's really not because you're smarter. It's because the Lord has lent that to you so that you could use that, not solely to make yourself more comfortable, but so that you could serve others with it. Do you think of the resources you have as yours? Or do you think of them as resources to be used to serve and bless others for God's glory? For the building up of believers and as a testimony to those outside of Christ. Through faith, we're a family of believers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, so we look out for each other. We take care of each other. And what's the result of that? When the church is committed to prayer, to God's word, to each other, What we see here is that there are authenticating signs being done by the apostles in verse 43, and those are going to show up throughout Acts, especially when the gospel is going to a new group of people. Here's where the gospel is just exploding for the first time outside that 120, and it's like, here are the signs that God is at work. And we see it as the gospel goes to Samaria. Philip, not even one of the apostles, is doing signs, and the gospel is authenticated, and many believe. And it just happens again and again as the gospel goes to new places. There's authenticating signs, there's also awe, reverent fear, or wonder at the work God is doing in verse 43. But it's not just awe and reverent fear. There's favor with outsiders in verse 47. Even so much that unbelievers are becoming believers who are added to the church. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want to know God by His Spirit is at work among us? Don't we want to have a good testimony before outsiders that yeah maybe we don't think like they do maybe we don't believe all the same things that they do maybe we don't believe any of the same things that they do but they're dumbfounded by our love for one another There those people are backwards and intolerant and all the things that they want to say about those who hold to what the bible teaches but they can't deny how we treat one another and how we take care of one another. That's one of the ways that we can be different from who we used to be and different from the world around us. And it becomes part of our testimony. Jesus himself said it. How was it he said that everyone would know that they're his disciples? By their love for one another. And we see it being fulfilled. Right here in Acts 2. Jesus says it shortly before he goes to the cross, showing the ultimate love for them, and here they are, fulfilling his promise. So, isn't this what we want? Or have we fallen for an American dream that's actually worth much less than this and won't last nearly as long? Do you want to be a church like this? do you come to church ready to be the church like this? Okay, I'm looking for God's Word today. I'm looking to share God's Word today. It's not just God's Word from the front. It's being able to share God's Word with one another, that when a burden is shared, yes, we pray, and we can also give encouragement from God's Word because it's in us, because we know it. What would it take to be a church like this? Well, it would take a work of the Holy Spirit, that is absolutely for sure. It would take the Spirit working in us in Philadelphia, working in you here to make you into the community that God has planned for you to be, shining as a testimony of His grace. And so in a way, the question we're asking today is, what do you want out of church? Kind of the blunt way is like, what are you doing here today? Why are you here? Are you here for the show? Are you here because well I just love the music at that church? Like, okay, that's not bad. Well, just I mean the, the preacher there, he just really okay. And that's not that that's that's actually good. But is it only because, well, I really feel fed. You know, I can come and I can sit and I have my spot where I sit and people mostly don't bother me because they know I don't want to talk to them and I can go on my way. Is that what we want out of church? What should we expect out of church? It's this vision that's cast for us here in Acts 2. What you want out of church directly correlates to what you're willing to put into church, right? If what you want out of the church is a a good song time and a good sermon, it's like you can come and just get that and go. But if you expect to be genuinely cared for, to be the church, you engage. And you expect not only to be served, but to serve. And so you come ready. So even this morning, as part of your preparation to gather did you stop and pray? Say, Holy Spirit, please fill me. Please guide me to the people you want me to talk with today that will especially need it. Please guide me to the people that will especially be able to encourage me because I feel like I need it today. That's part of our preparation for worship. is to remember who God is calling us to be and asking for the Holy Spirit to help us and when there are things you see that need to be done in the church a church like this where we're committed to the word committed to prayer committed to one another we don't think about the church's problems in like the third person right have you ever done this in another church i'm sure because there aren't any needs here you say, you know, this church, you guys really need to grow in this area. It's like, uh, are you a member here? Because <laughs> don't say this church. Don't say you guys. It's us. And so when you see an area of weakness, when you see a problem, that's not the time to go, man, at that church over there. It's like, what? Whose church over where? Your church not in a possessive like my church against your church or in a power struggle kind of way but that every member would say this is my church so where there are weaknesses in our church that's my weakness to help try to make up and i'm so grateful for how god has worked in our church in philadelphia so that there has become a culture where people come to us and go like our church is weak in this area and they start with our church, which is like, yes, all right, great. And they say, our church is weak in this area. We perceive this as a weakness. Do you perceive this as a weakness? Like, yeah, yep, yep, hmm And they, instead of saying, well, you guys, you know, the elders should get with it and start a program for that weakness, people are coming to us and saying, here's an idea that I have that I'm not absolutely committed to. You might have a better idea, but here's an idea that I have. And here's what we're willing to do to help see that idea born. Do you know anyone else who could help us with this? And do you think this is the right thing we should be doing to help with this weakness in our church? Like, man, I love those conversations. And that is actually where new ministries come from in our church. We're not a big church. We can't do everything. We can't look at the, the, even the big churches around us and go like, well, when we have this program and this program and this program and this program, everyone will come. And I imagine for you guys, it's similar, right? It's like, we can't do this and that and the other thing. There are only a few things you can do, and that is okay. How do you decide what things to do? I'm taking a risk here because we haven't talked about this. It's not about Sean's vision for what the church should be. That's not what should drive the decisions about what next things happen. Oh, good. (laughs) it's not about Sean's vision it's about the gifts and the capacity that are present right here and I don't know what those are at all because I'm just seeing all you guys for the first time today but that's the question to ask what are the needs that we see in our body what are the needs we see in our community, and how has God already prepared me, us, to be part of meeting those needs? We can't do everything, but we can do something, and we decide what that something is based on the gifts that are already present in the church, and it's, it's been really sweet in our church to see several different ministries now get started that way in the last few years where I'm not having to go, everyone should do this because it's great and I hope we find someone. It's like we can already say, here's this couple that's going to be leading this and we already hooked them up with two other people that we know are concerned about the same things or would be good at the things they're looking to do. And it's been really sweet to see those start. And even one of them last last week said, hey, someone that was being served by this ministry now is volunteering in that ministry because they've seen the need and they're now wanting to serve other people. And it's like, yes, praise the Lord. Guess how much I had to do with any of that as the pastor of the church. Well, I met with the couple and said, well, what do you think about this idea and make sure you think of that and we'll announce it. And oh, and here's this other couple that would be great. That's all I did. So I in a way, it's, it's kind of dangerous because well, we don't need this guy around. We just can just figure it out. <laughs> but what is the elder's role in the church? It's to help the church see what are your gifts. It's to equip, to borrow from Ephesians four, equip the saints, the church, to do the work of the ministry. And so, I, I'm kind of hoping to cast a vision today that gets that gets caught. We want to be committed to God's word. We want to be committed to prayer. We want to be committed to one another. That our church's problems, the poorest one, is my problem. The poorest one physically, materially is my problem. The poorest one spiritually is my problem. And not my problem because I'm a pastor, but my problem because I'm a member. They are part of my own body, this church. And so this text urges us to think about church life as not just Sundays, not just the formal gatherings, but day by day in each other's lives, knowing each other for real, humbling ourselves for real, but then being ready to move toward one another with the Word and with prayer and with all the resources that God has given to us and the result here is beautiful. They're praising God, they're having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Isn't that what we want? By God's grace, let's be the church. With the help of the Spirit, like those first believers, let's be committed to God's Word, to prayer, and each other. And that happens because Christ gave His own life for us. This is what He bought for us by His blood. Not just your individual ticket to heaven, but a community of worshipers who one day will be gathered with worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation around His throne. We get a taste of that now. But it's not just practice. It's for real. So let's embrace it by God's grace. Let's say yes to the things that will last and say no to some things that won't. And by God's grace, may we experience what they did. Awe at the work God is doing. Favor with outsiders and unbelievers becoming believers who are added to the church. Let's pray.